0: Hola y bienvenidos a Peruvians of USA, Peruanos de Estados Unidos, un podcast en español, inglés y spanglish, donde compartimos las diversas historias del inmigrante peruano. Mi nombre es Natalie Sofía y soy una chica peruana que vive en los Estados Unidos por más de 20 años. Welcome to Peruvians of USA, the podcast in Spanish, English and Spanglish, where we share the diversity of the Peruvian immigrant experience. My name is Natalie Sofía, a fellow Peruvian living in the U.S. for more than 20 years. So let's get started. Before we hop into today's conversation, I want to remind you that Peruvians of USA has officially launched its scholarship program. The first scholarship is to honor my grandfather, Javier Verdales Guaripata, and we will award $1,000 to a student with a Peruvian heritage in high school or college. Help us spread the word about this opportunity for Peruvian students by sharing with your friends and family. For more details, visit peruviansofusa.com or visit the link in bio. Also, remember to follow us on social media. If you're enjoying this podcast and you want more community or you want to find out more about our initiatives, like how we're supporting Peruvian owned businesses or life behind the scenes, You can find us on Instagram or Facebook. If you're loving this podcast, please take a moment to leave us a review if you listen to us on Apple. It is the easiest way to share our podcast with people you know and love, and it helps us get discovered by amazing Peruvians like you. So take a moment, leave us a review, share us with your friends and family, subscribe so you never miss an episode, and make sure to check our blog at peruviansofusa.com where you can sign up for our email list. Thanks for listening. Now let's get into the episode. Hola, mi gente. I am thrilled to share with you this week's bonus episode and special guest. Our special guest is none other than Diego Corso. Diego is a force feature millennial real estate entrepreneur, investor, mentor, and TEDx speaker. Diego was born in Lima, Peru, and moved to the United States with his family when he was nine years old. In this conversation, Diego shares with us his immigrant story, from his humble beginnings, overcoming many of the obstacles undocumented immigrants face every day, to reaching financial independence through real estate. Diego lives in Austin, Texas, but travels to Florida about once a month to visit his family. His family currently currently has two Peruvian restaurants, one in Sarasota called Peruvian Grill, and the other one in Brayton called El Huarique. If you're in that area, make sure to check them out. All right, I hope you have pen and paper because Diego drops a lot of gems. Make sure to take notes. Welcome, Diego Corso to Peruvians of USA. I am very excited that you're here and that you're going to share not only your Peruvian-American story, but also your story towards financial freedom, which I think is so important for um, the Peruvian community and also the Latinx in general community. Thank you very much
1: for this opportunity. I am very excited, especially to share my story with the Latino community. Yeah, I mean, it's something that I feel like a lot of Latinos may not share their stories as much just because we are not putting ourselves out there, right? So I am, uh, I'm 30 years old. I was born in Lima, Peru. I live in Austin, Texas, where I am a realtor. And I'm also a real estate investor. And also, I am a mentor of around 80 people, helping them achieve financial independence by getting out of the rat race through investing in real estate. So that's something that I'm very excited about. And I am a DACA recipient and a dreamer. So basically, that basically means that I came to the United States when I was a kid. And uh, and I can explain more about that. But just to tell you like where I am right now, I am a real estate investor, bought my first home when I was 23 years old. And then by 29, well, right now I own 25 properties and I'm under contract on a 16 unit apartment building. So that's where I am right now. My passive income does cover all of my living expenses. So a lot of people would say, Diego, you've achieved the American dream, right? Where you have passive income, financial independence. But even though that sounds great, right? I am a DACA recipient. I am a dreamer, which basically means that I had to go through a lot of obstacles uh, when comparing myself to my friends right my my american friends i had to go through a lot of hoops to get to where i am today i've been in the united states for about 21 years so far i was born in peru yeah i'll take it there and i'll let you ask me some questions
0: thank you for sharing that brief introduction of who you are and congratulations on being the owner and owning 25 properties at such a young age at 30 years old i think that's an amazing accomplishment and just to echo what you said you're a DACA recipient you're a dreamer and what could be something that for many a big obstacle uh you seem to have figured out a way to achieve your version of the american dream and that version is different for everybody so there's no one right version before we dive into your peruvian story and what yeah. prob- what real estate investing is like Talk about you mentoring millennials and others to achieve financial independence. What is financial independence? Why is it important and why should I care about it?
1: Yeah, yeah. So financial independence, it's really important because at the end of the day, a lot of people have to go to work. Right, They have to go to work because they need to live a certain lifestyle that they want. Financial independence is super important because it allows you, depending on how you want to do it, it allows you to have the option and the choice that you get to go to work. It gives you options, right? So that's what financial independence means, is that money is irrelevant. Money is not like, you don't need to trade your time for money right? There's two ways for people to make money. You can either trade your time for money, or you can make your money work for you. So in the mindset of financial independence, you want to treat your money, instead of just getting money and spending it, I would say, get your money invested into assets that will leave you passive income, and then you can live of that as that lifestyle. So financial independence, basically, for me means that Once you reach to to a certain level, your passive income is covering all of your monthly expenses, because at that point, you can get to go to work, you choose to go to work, work on whatever passion you might have, rather than saying, oh, I need to go to work every Monday. And I hope Friday comes soon so that I can go to the weekend. And I hate Mondays because I always have to go to work. Right, it's like you have that choice and that's what financial independence gives you. Yes, financial
0: independence gives you the freedom to pursue hobbies and things you like. I know when I talk to my fellow millennials Everybody wants to change the world. Everybody has some creative pursuit, but they feel limited because money is important, right? Like, let's admit it. Money is important to survive. We live in a capitalist country, in a capitalist world. You and I talked a little bit about before the recording of how money sometimes in our culture is thought as the root of all evil, which is misquoted from the Bible. (laughs) It's misquoted then also perhaps talking about monies is seen as improper, rude, and I'll share a personal story with you. I encounter financial independence by reading a lot of books. I started with T.C. Orman, and that evolved to everybody else in the field, and then it evolved to podcasts, and, and I learned more about financial freedom and financial independence, and as I learn all this rich information, I wanted to share it with my family, I wanted to share it with friends, I want to share it with my community. And there were moments when I was called, eres ambiciosa. Esa es ambición, es, es no una bueno. and, and I felt shut down. I felt shut down. And it, for a few years, I struggled, right, with, with that. Like, how much do I share? How much do I talk about? Um, tell us, is money the root of all evil? No, it is,
1: it is not. It is not. At the end of the day, money is a tool. And you get to choose how to use that tool. And also money is going to show you how you really are as a person, right? If you're a bad person, you're going to use your money for bad things. If you're a good person, you're going to use your money for for good things, right? And I feel like sometimes money is a conversation, especially with a Latino community that they, that they think that you're like an ambicioso from, from that perspective, right? Because, oh, you always talk about money. But at the end of the day, it's like, look, I can be talking about money or I can be talking about work. At the end of the day, if we're talking about work, you're going to be working for the rest of your life and generation after generation after generation might as well use money to make that money work for you for the next future generations, right? I mean, at at the end of the day, when I was in Peru, my mom was working at the bank and then my dad was working at, at a restaurant and right. And like at the end of the day, even here in the United States, the parents are always working right it's like but if we just change our mindset to be like okay can i sacrifice for a few years so that i can live off as frugally as possible so that i can invest my money then at that point you can make that passive income and that's something that for some people because it's the unknown because people may not may not think that this is common they just think that you're obsessed about money but at the end of the day i think it literally goes all the way down to financial education. Financial education is not something that gets taught to us. Like I had, I, just like what you were saying with Susie Orman, uh, one of my buddies, when I was in college, he threw me a book and that, that book was Rich that Poor that. So he's like, dude, you have to read that book. I read that book and in it, I mean, it changed my mindset. It doesn't tell you what to do. It doesn't tell you anything on what to do next, but it just changes your mindset, right? And that's why in the beginning, I said that that book taught me that there's the two ways to make money, trading your time for money or making your money work for you. In that book, there's an example that he says, look, you can buy a car for $20,000 and then you can have your monthly payments, right? You put that down payment, then you have your monthly payments you're buying a depreciating asset. And then once you're done paying that car, it's not gonna be worth what you paid for. But what if you buy a small condo for 20,000 and then that you rent it out? That's gonna give you some cash flow. And then you can use that cash flow to pay the car payment. That way, once you're done paying with a car, you still have a property that's still giving you money and you still bought something for $20,000 right? So I read that book in when I was 20, 21 years old, and I shared that story with my dad. This is back in 2011, 2010, when the economy had just like, I mean, we were coming out. Like in Florida, my parents had to declare bankruptcy and all this other stuff. But at that point, when I shared this with my dad, it clicked. And he called me a week later. And he's like, hey, Diego, ¿hay, hay un apartamento like right around the house for 21000 Should I buy it? And I was in college at that time. And I was like, I don't know. I just read this book. I I don't know. Should you buy it? I I have no idea. But uh, they ended up buying it. And that was their first rental property. And it all came with a conversation of me explaining to my dad that example of realizing, hey, you can buy an asset and that can pay for something else. And then once you pay that off, you still have that asset. And now, for example, that little condo that he bought back in 2010 or 2011 uh, is now probably worth $50,000, $60,000, if not more. So now it has appreciated and he's been getting rentals from it. And now uh, my dad owns multiple houses. And that was the beginning of of that between him and my mom. That was the the beginning of them building their little uh, empire. And then me, when I came out of college, uh, i i also started buying some properties um i mean it it was it was a little bit tough in the beginning and we will definitely get to that in this part of the story but uh but i just had to make it happen and that is what uh that's what allowed me to be to where i am right now
0: i mean what a guess that you uh, that this book came into your life in your early 20s right for uh for many for some of us it doesn't come until our 30s or even later mm-hmm. and then you're like wow i've been living uh, not, maybe, I don't want to say the right way because I don't think there's a right way to live, but maybe not the most optimized way, right? For for, mm. what, for what you want to do. Um, and you threw a couple of word, uh, word there that I want to make sure our audience knows, assets. And mm. a car, you, you, you listed as a car not being an asset, but yet mm. a condo or a property is an asset. Can you just define those, uh, yeah. the word asset, and I know the other one, my ability for our audience yeah. who might not be as versed?
1: Yeah, basically an asset is something that puts money in your pocket when you buy it. A liability, it's something that may depreciate or may take out money out of your pocket when you buy it. So a car is an example of a liability because you're gonna buy it and it's not gonna be worth as much when you wanna sell it in the future and you're just paying it down and it's not making you any money. So the idea is if you have the mindset, right? It's like a lot of people are collecting bills, like if you, if you ask the typical 35-year-old, it's going to be like, hey, how many bills do you have? They're going to tell you, oh, dude, I have my cell phone bill, my insurance bill, my car bill, like my car payments, uh, my credit card bill. Um, man, like they probably have a lot of other things financed, right? There's so many different bills. Well, what if we change our mindset to, hey, how many assets do you have that can pay for your bills? Right. If you if you just change that mindset, be like, hey, I'm buying assets so that they can pay for my lifestyle. Then at that point you can you take actions in a different way. And I was fortunate enough that I went to an event when I was twenty one years old and I heard this guy named Adam Carroll. And he said, Diego, you should build a bigger life, not a bigger lifestyle. You should build a bigger life, not a bigger lifestyle. And for me, what that meant is a bigger life is based on experiences, is not based on things. I was just talking to my uncle like literally on Monday and he was saying we were having a conversation of like, how he's excited now to like buy assets and now now he's doing like an e-commerce store and all this other stuff. And I reminded him, I was like, dude, remember when you first came to the United States, you were like 18 years old or 17. And I remember him buying a really, really, really nice car at that time, like a sports car. He shouldn't have been buying that at that time. And I told him, right? but it was because of that education that we had back then That that's you come to the United States, you hustle, you buy a nice car, you buy something nice, but nobody taught us the financial literacy of actually buying an asset that can later pay for those things. Now, the other thing that happens is that let's say that people do get out of college, let's say they get a good job, and then they get stuck in buying stuff that fits their lifestyle. So, hey, I'm I'm making 5,000 bucks a month. I'm gonna spend 5,000 bucks a month in buying, like I worked at General Motors uh, when I got out of college and I had 23 year old friends that were buying Camaros, Corvettes, Cadillacs, all of that stuff. Sure, because you work at GM, fine, right? But at the end of the day, I'm like, dude, you should not be buying those types of cars right now. It would've been better if you had invested by a house that can pay for your car. Um, when I when I was a GM, I was driving my Honda Civic 09 in 2013, right? And But it was because I had that mindset that I wanted to live below my means. I was living for half of my paycheck and I was saving the other half. Some people said, Diego, why do you do that? Porque eres tan que no gastas tu plata or this and that. And I'm like, well, in five years... I have different goals than you. So in five years, my life is going to be a little bit different. So two years later, when I quit my job and had some people saying, how did you do it? I'm like, well, dude, I'm renting a room instead of living the high life where you guys are downtown, right? Um, So small things like that. And um, Susie Orman right there's the other guy Dave Ramsey he has a quote that he says if you live for two years like most people don't you can live for the rest of your life like most people won't I feel like just having that mindset of sacrifice in the beginning is very important life is a marathon especially the financial independence side it's not a sprint so people need to know that in the beginning you have to sacrifice but it's because there's an end goal that happens later uh, but that's but the sacrifice and all that stuff, that's something that I learned from my parents. That's for sure.
0: There's two things that I want to highlight on the items, on the things that you just said. Uh, one is that sacrifice. We have to sacrifice, right? And I think our community is actually... We understand what that is. We understand sacrifice. And and for many of us, our parents have taught us also the the value of saving, which I want to touch on investing later, which are two different things. But I also think because we have sacrificed so much coming to the U.S. and and we have left everything behind in Peru. toda nuestro idioma, nuestra cultura, nuestra familia. And then we come here and, and then the fact that we have been sacrificing perhaps for so long, it, it, it makes it a little bit harder to continue to that sacrifice, right? Like I think I, I guess I I may speak for some of our audience that says like, well, when does the sacrifice end? Right. And I think I think your point, I think the point that we're trying to share is it's not that it's a never that the sacrifice will never end. Like your quote that you mentioned is like if you are smart about how you carry your life and your finances and your lifestyle for a couple of years and you invest, and you have assets more than liabilities, you can have a fabulous, fantastic life of freedom, of financial freedom. One of the things that you also mentioned earlier was financial education, financial literacy. I actually think financial education, financial literacy, is a social justice issue. It's a human right issue that we're not taught in school. Our parents came from a different country where the whole banking industry was completely different, and there's a big distrust on that. My parents remember, they'll la moneda bajo, the money was devalued so much that whatever bonus my dad got did not even matter anymore. Um, and when banks will not give their, their, the depositors their money back. So people are traumatized for all those experiences back in Peru that happened in the 90s and the 80s. But when they come here, of course, they have a distrust of financial systems, of, of banks. Um, but... Let's say there's somebody out there in the audience who's like, all right, you convinced me financial freedom, financial independence, financial literacy. I need to understand how all of this works. What is your recommendation of how they can get started?
1: Yeah, my recommendation is definitely in reading the right books, right? You have to read Rich Dad Poor Dad. That will be the first book. The second book will be Secrets of the Millionaire Mind by T.F. Eckert, right? At the end of the day, it's it's a mindset. And there's a difference in if you just look at, like not that there's wrong or bad, right? Like it's not that's right or wrong or good or bad, but if you just look at, okay, 99% of my friends or like 95% of my friends, like of all my college friends, let's say, like they all have the mindset and I grew up with this mindset too that I'm gonna be working till I'm 65, right? And then I retire and then I enjoy my job. To the point that when I was when I graduated college, I worked, I went to work for at that time a fortune five company, GM, right? And then I quit two two years later. But in Peru, everybody was very excited that I was working for General Motors because for them, like in Peru, it's like a company, like, oh my gosh, it's freaking
0: awesome. You made it. I <laughs> you made,
1: it, you right? made it, right? <laughs> I made it. Yeah. And so what ended up happening, it's sort of like the like you reach that level and then you realize, holy crap, is or at least it hit me. I'm like, am I going to be doing this for the next 40 years of my life? And I was like, no, there has to be another way. But that's when I began to use the resources that I had at that time, which was a good paying job, live frugally, and then invest the rest. Now, for people that are getting started, and this is something that I've learned, I got fortunate enough when I was 23 years old to be in a room. With 15 millionaires, I was the only one that wasn't a millionaire. And when they went and introduced themselves, I was in a room with guys that were getting paid, like that had 40 million net worth, 10 million net worth, 5 million. When they came to me and I'm like, hey, my name is Diego. I'm 23 years old. My net worth is $25,000. And I found out about this event through Twitter. Like that's how I got connected. I was, they were like, who the heck let this kid in? And, but they pulled me out to the side and then they told me later, hey, after this event, we created this group for millionaires, but we want to help you out. We want to help you become a millionaire in the future. Will you be our first apprentice, like our first mentee? And I was like, "Heck yeah, let's do it." So, I've surrounded myself with them, and for the last 7 years, and I would say that in me surrounding myself with them, I've came I've come up with six different six different areas that allows people to become financially independent. Okay. Now it's really important to note that first you become the person that achieves financial freedom, and then you get it. A lot of people want the money right now, but if you give a million dollars to somebody that doesn't know how to manage money, they're going to lose it in a year. Even though they say, oh, I have a million dollars. They're going to lose it because they don't have that mindset to know how to invest it, to know how to grow it. They only know how to spend it. So what I've come up with in studying these guys Is there's the six areas to becoming the person that achieves financial freedom. And that number one is managing your personal finances. You have to know how much money is coming in, how much is coming out. Number two is scheduling personal development. This is for the mindset. The mindset is really important because things are hard, there's a lot of ups and downs, there's a lot of naysayers. Your family members are gonna think that you're crazy. They're going to be like, why are you doing that? Why are you living like that when you can have so much more? Like right now in the beginning, as you're getting started, number three is understanding the power of your tribe and your peer group. Your peer group is super important. A lot of people, they surround themselves with people that all they do is complain. They complain about their boss. They complain about their life, but they never take responsibility right? And so they are living life in a certain standard. By me surrounding myself with those entrepreneurs, they raise my standard to a different level. Like my average was a different level. So I either rose to the occasion or I would have gotten kicked out or I would have left. Be like, oh, this is not for me, which is fine. But I wanted to rise to the occasion and become one of those entrepreneurs that they are. Now, number four is goal-setting With accountability. Goal setting is not enough. You have to be held accountable by either somebody, by an application, like an app, something, because you need to have that thing that pushes you so that you can actually do that goal. Because if you do, like, let's say that you have somebody that's waiting for you at the gym, and you say, hey, if I don't show up three times a week when you show up, I'm going to give you a hundred bucks. Now, if it's raining outside at six in the morning, you're not going to be like, eh, I'm okay, I'm just going to go tomorrow. No, because that person is there, you're going to have to give them a hundred bucks if you don't go, right? So that's accountability. Number five is increasing your income through a side hustle. Now, I am a big believer that in order for somebody to achieve financial independence, they have to grow their income in the beginning. So having a job is great, especially if it's high paying. But there's enough time in the day, in the beginning, that you can sacrifice to find a side hustle. Even if it's Uber, even if it's like a skill, like even though I was working as a software developer at GM, I I still did websites in, in, in the weekends for other people, for small businesses. Then I got my license to be a realtor. So that became my other side hustle, right? And then I was able to leave my job once the income was coming up. So that's number five. And then number six, the last one is Investing for passive income, but a lot of people skip the first five and they just want to invest, but they never know how to manage their finances. They never know how to, how to have a strong mindset. Then then they're not working with the right group, right? If you have a cousin that you tell them hey, I bought a house that's going to be an investment, they'll be like, oh, estás loco, te van a llamar a las tres de la mañana que lo arregles to do this, to do that, to fix this thing, and they're just gonna bring you down because that's not the norm, right? So at the end of the day, you want to surround yourself with people that are that have that same mindset, that are doing the right goals as you're doing, and then investing for passive income. But if you don't have that, you're not going to get it. You need to have all six in order for you to get it.
0: Thank you for sharing those six different areas and and six different steps. I was like taking notes as you were speaking. Yeah. I think one of the areas that maybe folks could struggle the most. Yes, of course managing managing your, your personal finance is important, understanding what's coming in, what's going out. And and there are tools and they're out there like personal capital mint, that can sort of give you a picture of, of what that looks like. But developing your mindset, developing yourself. I struggle to invest in myself. Mm. Why do you think that is? What would you say to somebody like me who sometimes is like, is this really the best use of my money? Yes, it is because I am mm. my biggest asset. <laughs>
1: exactly, exactly. No, yeah, and and it goes both ways, right? It doesn't have to be money. It, it, it can be time, right? There's a guy that I follow. I mean, he he passed away already, but I have probably listened to 99% of his videos on YouTube. His name is Jim Rohn. And he shares that formal education will make you a living, but self-education can make you a fortune, right? He says, again, formal education will make you a living, but self-education can make you a fortune. And then he also says, success will seldom exceed your level of personal development. Because success is not something you pursue. Success is something you attract by the person you become. You have to understand that you have to invest in yourself, whether it is with money or with time. Now we live in a time right now, we've been super blessed that there's so much free education on YouTube, right? So while you're driving, while you're going to work, put on a YouTube video of Jim Rohn, put on YouTube videos of like Ed uh Grant Cardone, Tony Robbins. There's so much different things and through Audible, you can say, hey, I don't have time to read books, but hey, there's Audible. And with Audible, just put on your headsets while you're on a run, while you're on a walk, and, uh, and at the end of the day, it's time that you're already doing. So you might like using, right? Well, if you have a 20 minute to right to work, learn while you're there. A lot of people think that just because you graduated high school or college that you need to stop learning, but that's not true. You need to be a lifelong learner. And if you have that mentality that you're a student of life, I feel like that is when you continue to grow. And a lot of people, once they finish college or high school, whatever, They begin to conform and they think that they are done with learning. They're just going to do whatever they're going to do for the rest of their life with their job. But if you come from the perspective of growth mindset, you want to invest so that you can get into groups, into rooms where you're going to be able to learn stuff so that you can take your life to the next level. So it's just having that mindset that it doesn't have to be money. It can just be time.
0: And and in terms of getting yourself into different rooms and, and groups, you mentioned the third area was understanding the power of tribe and how important your tribe is. And we all have heard that you're the average of the five people that you surround yourself with. There is a letting go, though, that you have to do with your family and perhaps your community for you to step out into this other tribe and learn from others. Did you go through that at all where you felt a little bit of, letting go or at least removing yourself a little bit from a community to figure out how to operate at this different level. And I guess for me, it parallels to the experience of coming to the U.S., right? We're coming to a new country and we miss our country. We we miss Peru. We miss our family. But at the same time, you have to focus into what is now and Mm -hmm. figure it out and learn it. Mm -hmm. And, And it requires letting go or putting on pause maybe for a little bit your connections to Peru. At least that was my experience. Mm -hmm. And, and I have a lot of guilt around it Uh, and I'm still Mm -hmm. working through a lot of different things and reconnecting with my roots and reconnecting with family there. But I I see number three as that, as a power of tribe is important. It is powerful your tribe, but it's also stepping away from perhaps the community that you're comfortable with. Yeah, for sure. It's interesting that you say that because at the end of the day it's true, right?
1: But if you want to have more in your life, you have to change. If you don't change, nothing's gonna change. Now, there is a quote, the motto, there's a podcast called Charro Azteca that I've been that I've been a guest in. And their motto is our parents didn't make it this far so that we can so that we can go this far, right? There's so much more. And The six keys that I shared earlier, they're important, but what's more important is to have a why. So if you do not have a why that's strong enough, those six keys are not going to matter. You have to have a why that it's meaningful as to why you want to have financial independence. For me, it's definitely to show my parents that the sacrifice that they did of leaving Peru they left Peru when they were like 33 years old. I'm 30 right now, right? When they were 32, 33. And I'm like, holy crap, at this age, around this age, leaving a country starting from zero, that's a lot of sacrifice, right? So for me and seeing them how they worked in the beginning, it's sort of like, it will be a disservice for me not to achieve my potential just because of the values or what my family might think that the potential is for me. And I feel like the potential, we have to set it ourselves. Because if not, we're going to be stagnant. If not, we're not going to grow. And if we're not growing, we're doing a disservice for our family that came and left everything so that we could pursue a bigger life. Now we came as kids, right? Like I was nine years old and my brother was three. So I got to see a lot of the things that they did, like seeing my, like hearing my mom crying in the bathroom that she was missing Peru, like stuff like that. And those are things that stuck on me that I'm like, holy crap, I can do a couple of these sacrifices. Like my mom was working at times, like at a gas station from midnight till seven in the morning. And my dad had to sleep outside in the car so that he didn't leave my mom like in a bad area. And then we didn't have the money to drive back home for gas. And then my mom like to drive my, my, my dad back and stuff like that. So at the end of the day, it was those sacrifices stick with you. And it's like, holy crap, there's just so much more than I can do to give back to my parents, to show them that it was worth it.
0: I identify so much with your why, because like for me also my why was, my parents did the heavy lifting <laughs> coming here. Yeah, Let's be honest, I did the heavy lifting. And so now I want to be in a financial position where I'm able to take care of them in retirement, right? Like, and that requires sacrifice, that requires the li- living below my means, that requires investing in myself, so many things, so many of the six keys I, that you mentioned. But you touched on the beginnings of your immigrant story of oh, coming mm-hmm. here to the U.S. Um, you came at the age of nine years old. Tell us, what do you remember about Peru? What was that last day there? How did they tell you, hey, we're leaving? Tell us about coming yeah. here.
1: Yeah, that was, that was interesting. So I was in third grade. I, I was going to school at Maria Reina, which is where my, my, my dad went to school. My dad's sisters went, went to school. I remember them telling me sometime, I think in like April or something of 1999, that we were gonna leave because at this time, my mom's car had just gotten stolen. My mom's like, she la asaltaron una vez con cuchillo creo y una vez con pistola.
0: Just wanted to take a break here to share that Peruvians of USA now has an online store. Help us spread the message that El Mejor Amigo de un Peruano es otro Peruano by visiting our online store. We also have feminine versions that said La Mejor Amiga de una Peruana es otra Peruana or gender neutral versions. This could be the perfect gift for a Peruvian in your life. Visit the link on the episode notes or link in bio. All right, back to the episode.
1: So my mom was like, "Okay, we're done. Let's see if there's something else that we can do. At that time, my dad had also he had a restaurant and he had to shut it down it wasn't good. And then he couldn't find a job. So for those reasons, that's why we decided to come to the United States because we just weren't going to have a good life over there. I remember I was going to school. My dad told me when we were entering my grandparents' house and then between my mom and my dad, they basically asked me, I mean, they they didn't do it because I told them, but they asked me, Mira, would it be better if your dad just goes and then we follow him later or should we should all go as a family? What would you wanna do? And then I told them we should all go as a family, we're one. So then fast forward a few months later, we sold everything that we had I remember I sold my soccer ball for three dollars, uh, que eran 10 soles to my neighbor because I saw that my parents were selling everything. So I was like, well, I'm gonna sell some stuff too. So I sold my my soccer ball and then we came to the United States. I started school third grade again. I didn't know any English. So I came in August. I had just turned nine years old. We we moved to Miami, and I could tell that all of the students were somewhere like Hispanos, Latinos, whatever. And when I asked them if they spoke Spanish, they said no. And then two days later, when we have Spanish class, everybody spoke Spanish. And I was like, Tamaric, what are they like? Shoot, they they just didn't wanna like help out or whatever. So I took ESOL. I was in ESOL for two years. At that point, it was, it was definitely a little bit hard in the beginning, just getting used to being in the United States. We moved in with my aunt. And then from there, my dad began to work at a restaurant as a cook in the beginning and doing a lot of side hustles, doing my, my dad will clean pools, my mom will clean houses. And then my mom became a waitress at the restaurant too. And that's how we started to to um, to go up, I guess, in like being able to save more money and whatever. But oh, I remember we bought a um, we bought a, a van without any seats, only the two front seats in the beginning, and they call them El Tren Fantasma because they didn't know if it was gonna work. If the windows were going to work, if the windows will go up or down, I think they bought it for like a thousand bucks. And there were times that like, if you stop at a red light, you didn't know if the car was going to shut down or up. So we call it El Tren Fantasma because we didn't know if the radio was going to work that day or whatever. And I remember like, hey, it's working. Let's listen to music. So it's crazy because like, for example, now, now I drive a Tesla and to think about like, I just made that relation like right, right now. It's sort of like we went from like having El Tren Fantasma to a car that drives itself. That's like freaking awesome. I've never shared this on a podcast. But yeah, it's like crazy to realize that 21 years later, that's how it works, right? But there's been a lot of effort in, in between that that time. Yeah, sorry.
0: Yeah, no, and it makes you appreciate the journey and how far you have come. And I also hope that we never lose sense of that appreciation of how far we've come. I have shared with my husband that when we came to the U.S., we also didn't have furniture, we didn't have TV, I didn't actually have toys. Here in the U.S., they throw things away that are valuable. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So we lived in an apartment complex that people would throw away a coffee table TV set, and so she got me peluches like stuffed animals and she threw them in the washer she made sure they were like clean you know they weren't like they were like in decent shape that people have to turn away Mm -hmm. and those were my first toys coming here to the U.S. and I remember we would wait for like midnight and then we would like literally go to where people would last like they're recycling things and we would be like that table looks good yeah we'll get that table
1: (laughs) yeah yeah I mean at the end of the day you have to do what you have to do
0: yeah, yeah. So tell us about you are a DACA. So yeah. when you started thinking about college, started thinking about paying for college. How mm-hmm. did you process all of that? And how did you manage that whole process? Because it's different, right? So,
1: yeah, yeah. In the beginning, it was a little bit hard because even though I grew up, like we came here with a visa, but we overstated. And I always heard that we were undocumented, right? I always heard that. But I didn't know what it really meant, how it was going to affect me until I got to high school and all my friends were getting their driver's license. I went to the DNV when I turned 15, 15, 16 years old. And and I remember I, I went with my mom and then they're asking me for some documents. I give them what I had and they said, Diego, we cannot give you this. This is not enough. Do you have these documents, these other ones? So I asked my mom and she said, no, we don't have those. And then I was like, crap. So I cannot get my documents. And because I came here at the age of nine, mid third grade from Peru, and when I came here, they put me in third grade from the beginning. I was always sort of like the oldest in the class. So I was the first one from like almost all my friends that would have gotten their driver's license, right? So I had to just, I couldn't do it. And that's when I knew that my life was going to be a little bit different than my friends. But I put all of my emphasis into school, again, remembering that, look, okay, that's one obstacle. We can, it will just be a matter of time. They will be like, yeah, yeah. si Dios quiere el próximo año, pasa algo, whatever, whatever. But, at the end of the day, I put all my emphasis into school. I'm the oldest the oldest brother, the oldest grandson from both sides of the family, from that perspective. So I was always like the example. So I put all my emphasis into school, graduated third in my class in high school. Then I got into Florida State University. As I'm going to Florida State University, I begin to apply for different scholarships, different different loans, fafsa and i kept on getting denied i kept on saying hey you need to check this box if you're an american citizen or if you have a green card there was nothing that said are you daca this is pre-daca right so this is pre-everything i didn't have anything i was able to still get some scholarships based on my grades i won some and then they said that they couldn't give it to me because i didn't have my papers so they couldn't legally give that money to me to report it for whatever they needed to to report it and i also couldn't qualify for any student loans like all of my friends did so i had enough money to pay for college for one year and me dijeron okay anda por un año y a ver qué pasa so i went to florida state while i was there i began to volunteer i was studying it i began to volunteer for this for this like nonprofit and they said, Diego, you volunteer volunteered here for four months. You've done more work as a freshman than what some seniors do in a year. So we want to hire you. I was like, great. This is awesome. I'm going to get to work and pay for college. So I apply. And then they said, Diego, everything is looking good. Uh, we just need your work permit. I'm like, great. I call my mom. Mama, me dijeron que todo está bien. Voy a empezar a trabajar. I just need my permit. She says, you don't have that. We don't have that. I was like, oh my gosh. I was like 18, 19 years old at that time. So this means that at age 19, I cannot drive. I cannot work. I can't get student loans. And I just keep on getting freaking like obstacle and obstacle and obstacle and obstacle. At the end of the day, I remembered what my dad told me, right? And this is something that I shared in my TEDx talk that I gave was that, My dad told me that the U.S. is the land of opportunity, but it is up to us to find it. So I always grew up with that, so that there's always a way. There's always an opportunity. We just have to work hard enough to find it. And a lot of people give up. A lot of people are not willing to go the extra mile. But because I saw the example of my parents, that they would always go the extra mile. And they will always tell me, Diego, tenemos que trabajar un poquito más duro que otras personas, but we will get there. So for me, it was more like, we're just going to make it happen. So I was able to get resourceful and think of different ways. Like This resourcefulness is what gave me the different ideas that has helped me a lot to where I am today. Because I feel like if I didn't have those obstacles, I wouldn't be where I am now. I'll share one story and then I'll continue it. But there was a class, for example, that the teacher said, Guys, it was like a class for like 120 students at Florida State. They said, guys, if you know the answers to these questions, you will get an A. And he gave us 20 questions. So then, what I did is I went to my dorm. I uh, I took the questions. I read the book and I typed in the questions, the answers, and then I just read them over and over and over again so I could like so I could have it in my brain. I took the test and I set the curve. So I got the A. And uh, so by the second test, the teacher said, hey guys, again. If you guys know these 20 questions, the answers, you will get an A. So then I got creative and I was like, great. Uh, I send an email to everybody in the class and I was like, Hey guys, my name is Diego. I was the guy who set the curve might be, but I have an opportunity. I can give you, I'm going to create the study guide for $5. I will give you the study guide so that you can get an A as well. And I made 250 bucks for it. The third time I raised the price. I was like, hey, guys, I did it again. I have for $10, you can have the study guide. And I made 500 bucks altogether. And that's how I was able to pay for that class, for example, right? It was crazy because I had to print out the documents and meet people in the middle of campus at different times. I had people texting me, hey, Diego, I'm ready. I'm going to random cars. That I've never met the person. I'm giving them paper and they giving me money. I'm like, man, police are gonna think that I'm dealing drugs or something. You're but, dealing uh, knowledge. Was, so you're dealing. I'm knowledge. dealing <laughs> exactly. I'm dealing study guides here. But at the end of the day, it was it was those things right um, that allowed me to to be able to save money. When I was a kid, my dad they didn't have money for like a babysitter. And my mom and my dad were at the restaurant. This was when they didn't own restaurants at that time. Now, my, now my parents own two Peruvian restaurants in Florida, but they were working there, and they would take me to the restaurant. So I would see them working. I was like, well, I was imagine I was 10 years old at that time, and I told the owner, I was like, hey, si te toda la caja de limones, can you give me 10 bucks? So he's like, sure for the ceviches for, for, for like the weekend, right? So I would just squeeze lemon, squeeze the lime, squeeze the lines, and I was making 10 bucks for the whole box. And I bought myself a TV because my parents didn't have the money to buy a TV. And they also, I, I didn't have the guts to ask them for a TV. So I remember I bought a 13 inch TV and I was like so excited. It was like freaking awesome. I was like 11 or 10 years old at that time. Uh, but anyway, so it's like always that results, resource, that results for right? So then fast forward, I found out that I couldn't work legally. So I'm like, there has to be another way. So then I found an opportunity. I found a way that I could create my LLC by putting my best friend, my best friend. He's been my best friend from like high school, college till now. What I found out was that if you create the LLC with one manager, you can add a second manager much easier later. So I went to my buddy and I was like, look, Pascal, can we, can you, this is a way that I can do this. If you help me create an LLC, we can start our own IT company, whatever. He's like, sure, man, we'll we'll do it. And he's always been there for me. So Pascal was able to create the LLC for me because he's American. And then later he added me to it. So what I found out is that even though I couldn't work as an employee, Diego Corso couldn't be an employee. Companies can pay my contracting company. And then later I could take that income for myself. So that's how I was able to pay for college by me doing websites for small business owners, nonprofits and all that stuff. And that it was hard. It was hard because I couldn't drive, but I still had to have meetings. And this is pre-Uber, pre Lyft, pre-everything. So I remember my bike was my only mode of transportation. And I literally had like a suit in my backpack and I had to ride, drive my bike five miles, whatever to meet with these people. And it was like summer. So it's like, it's hot. I'm sweaty. I park my bike in the back of the building, dry off with my towel, change into my suit, walk into the front of the building. I just had to do what I had to do to make it happen. That was a lot of my life um, until DACA came. And then I was graduating college. And then DACA finally allowed me the opportunity to be able to work and then drive. Again, I had to get creative because my documents were taking forever to come. But GM had already told me that I was going to start here in Austin, Texas. So I said, F it. I'm going to go to Austin. I rented a room. I graduated with two bachelor's degrees. And so GM gave me the opportunity. Like They hired me on the spot because they saw that I had real work experience because I couldn't legally work. I had to create my own company. So they were like, wow, Diego, everybody else were talking about what they did for their schooling and their studies. And you actually have conversations with clients and this and that. I was like, yeah. So I moved to Austin. My papers were taking forever. I managed to convince some executives at GM to hire my company for the time being so that I could work as a contractor. At that point, I couldn't even drive yet. So I'm moving to Austin where I don't know anybody, can drive, can work legally as myself, but I was able like, to buy my bike and that was, that was my thing, right? Working for a freaking car company, I couldn't drive. It is what it is. My documents did come later and finally was able to start the normal thing, right? And then fast forward two years later, I was able to leave that job and start my real estate journey.
0: I love your story. I love that from a very young age, you seem to have an entrepreneurial spirit from selling your um, soccer ball for uh, for $3, I think you said, for $10 soles. I mean, that's amazing because like you see your parents and you're like, all right, I want to contribute to the family. What can I do? And so it seems like you had this entrepreneurial spirit from a very young age. Also, it seems like you paid a lot of attention to your surroundings and you were like, how can I add value to the people around me? And then that Mm -hmm. in turn added value to you and from a monetary perspective, right? You were like, yeah. Can I squeeze lemons? Can I squeeze lines for the ceviche? You were paying attention as a kid, right? And then you got compensated for that. And then in college, you're like, hey, I'm very good about, you know, creating these study sheets because I can sell them. So I just wanted to highlight those two things and also highlight that how America here in the U.S., uh, the system values business owners more than they value employees. And that is one of the reasons you were able to create an LLC. There's like a path for you to create an LLC and get... um, compensated that way and that as an employee And, and i don't want people to miss this point because i think it's important and it ties to like the whole financial independence conversation that we had earlier right like you are creating jobs for others you're creating values for others and here in the U.S., that's what's value. That's what gets taxed more generously than levy to employee. And, and I just don't want people to miss that. I don't think everybody needs to be an entrepreneur, but I think it's important for you to know that. Now, real estate, I definitely do not want to miss that story of real estate and how you got started with real estate. Tell us about the beginnings of your journey and what advice you, also, you would also have for somebody who wants to get started in real estate.
1: Yeah, so the easiest thing, one of the easiest things, especially if you're a millennial, Uh, or the younger generation too, a lot of people think that you need 20% down to be able to buy a property, but that is not true. There is owner occupant loans that basically, if you're going to be living in the property, you can buy a house with 5% down, 3.5% down, or sometimes 0% down, depending in the area. I started investing by the strategy called house hacking. House hacking is basically where you either buy a house, you live in the master, you rent out the other rooms, and then you're living for free, or you can buy a duplex, triplex, or quadplex, you live on one side and you rent out the other. That way you're living and the other, your tenants, your roommates are paying for the mortgage for you and you can live for a lot less or free or you're making money, right? And it's crazy because some of my American friends, when I bought my house, they were like, why are you living with roommates when you can afford to live by yourself? And for some people, they found it weird. But for me we've always have been living with people in our in our house. Like we've always had el tío, la tía, whether it was us living there, or we had other people living with us. Like at the end of the day, for me, it's like, for me at that time, I was like, well, for me, it's a norm. I was able to buy a house by putting down 5% down here in Austin, Texas. My mortgage was thirteen fifty, dollars putting 5% down. So for less than $10,000, I was 23 years old at that time, 24, 24. Yeah. And I was living in the mass And I wanted to rent out the three rooms for $550. Now, what this means, if you do the math, is $1650 subtracted the $1350, which is what the mortgage was. I was living for free and making $300 a month. That $300 a month paid for my car payment for my Honda Civic at that time. And so I was living for free and I was making, I'm I'm always as transparent as, as possible. So I was making $60K, $59K at General Motors. So I was living for free. Now, I didn't have the luxury to get into student loans and also to get into credit card debt because I couldn't get in that because I couldn't qualify, right? But I had to work my butt off to make it happen. I had, I was riding my bike and working and doing websites. Like I graduated with two degrees in less than four years and still being able to work full time doing my business stuff. So I worked a lot, but it's like a lot of things that I also sacrificed in the beginning, where all my other friends may have, like, we got the same job. One had $50,000 in student debt. I did not. Now, fast forward years later, that was a blessing in disguise. A lot of people be like, oh, this is so unfair. My friends have it so easy in college. Yes, but now I get to have that advantage, right? Because I had no student loans and no credit card debt and I was living for free not, and my car payment was getting paid by other people. The only expenses that I had for myself was food and the fun that I wanted to have because my living expenses are getting paid by other people and so that allowed me to save more money and then i repeated that process again and again so i moved out of that first property moved into the second property a year or two years later with low down payment again with five percent down and i put a roommate in the master bedroom so now this property is making me this asset is making me a thousand bucks a month and living for free in the second property so then it got to the point that I did that again and then I didn't need to work at GM anymore because my living expenses and then I got my license to be a realtor because I wanted to learn about the real estate market. Then it got me to the point that I was making more money part-time as a realtor than I was making at General Motors. So then that's when I called my parents and I was like, hey, I know that I went to school for IT and I'm the first one working in a Fortune 5 company and all of this other stuff. And I could have an amazing career, but I don't want to. I'm going to leave General Motors. I did it and I haven't looked back. Now, last year, as a realtor, I sold 56 homes. My team sold a total of 165 homes, and we are the number one team in our office right now. So it is awesome. But it didn't start that way. In the beginning, it was definitely hard, especially when the Trump administration came about. There was so much uncertainty of what was going to happen with DACA, what was going to happen with the Dreamers, what was going to happen if we were going to, if we could get deported, if like, what was going to happen because they know they have all of our information right so there was a lot of uncertainty but i decided also again it goes to the mindset right you always have to look at no matter what and this is something that i learned from a mentor of mine his name is Hal Elrod he's like look you have to be happy with the life that you currently have as you're pursuing the life of your dreams. So no matter what, happiness is a choice. And I'm very grateful of all the challenges and obstacles that I've had because it has given me different opportunities. And always asking myself the right questions. A lot of people will take the victim mentality by asking themselves, oh, why is this happening to me? But if you can turn it into an empowered mentality, when you ask yourself, why is this happening for me? Why is this happening for me? Then you begin to look for solutions and like things that may be able to help get you, maybe get you out of that situation, or at least get you to move forward. And I feel like that is something that a lot of people may not be aware of how important those questions are. The why is this happening to me and why is this happening for me? Because if you just ask yourself the right questions, you can change the trajectory of your life. That's such a great message for everybody. Asking
0: yourself the right questions and also seeing things as opportunities. And the fact that happiness is a choice. As we wrap up, my last two questions is how do you stay connected to your Peruvian culture to your roots? And what would be your message to Peruvian Americans here in the U.S.? I can't leave the country. So this is something that sucks. I would
1: love to go to Machu Picchu. I would love to visit my grandparents in Peru, but I can't. I can't leave the country. So, But what I do is I go to Florida once a month and uh, eat amazing Peruvian food like ceviche, lomo saltado, all of that stuff. As Peruvians, we like to party. So we're literally like, I'm flying this, I'm flying on Saturday and we're going to have a live band at the house and we're going to be partying. For me, the roots of spending time with family, we have a very close relationship with my parents, with my brother, with, with my whole family. So that for me is really important. And I mean, I love salsa dancing. So I, I, I used to teach salsa when I was in college. I listen to salsa all all the time. Salsa like cubana, peruana, like from all over. Of course, I love it. At the end of the day, that's that's what I do to stay with with those roots. And then talking with my grandparents, of course. But then for the Peruvian Americans that are here, I would say, look, there. There's been a lot of sacrifices that our past generations have done, and just think that it will be a disservice like I mentioned earlier, to be complacent, to not play to your to your potential. There's a guy named, his name is Grant Cardone, and he says success is your responsibility, your duty, and your obligation. Now, you don't have to be as obsessed as that guy is, right? But you just have to be aware that if you can become more and you're not becoming more, you are not achieving your true potential for the people that sacrifice like my parents sacrificed, they had to learn a new language. They had to Nazi family for years. They had to start from scratch. And I feel like you will be doing a disservice to them if you are not achieving your potential.
0: If our audience wants to connect with you, I know you mentor on like becoming financially independent. Uh, how can our audience connect with you and learn more about everything that you're doing?
1: Yeah, they can follow me on Instagram at Real Diego Corzo, Real Diego Corzo. Um, Aldo Corso, the soccer player, he is, he, his family. Uh, so, so yeah, so real Diego Corso and then my email info at Diego Corso and they can go to diegocorso.com. If they do want to learn about the Rad Race to FI mastermind group, they can go to fi.com and they can follow me on that too. At the okay. end of the day, I'm here to help out the community. They can check out my TEDx talk too on YouTube. I look forward to connecting with as many Peruanos as possible through here.
0: Yeah, and I definitely want to encourage everybody to listen to the TEDx talk. Diego did us proud <laughs> with that it's TEDx talk. Diego, it's been a pleasure to talk to you. You're such a orgullo peruano. peru I'm so Gracias. proud of everything that you've accomplished. And you're an inspiration for all of us. So I just want to say thank you so much for joining me in this conversation.
1: Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Take care.
0: Thank you for listening to Peruvians of USA. If you like the show, make sure to subscribe and review an Apple podcast. It lets other Peruvians find the show. If you want to hear more from me, you can follow me on Instagram at Peruvians of USA. I look forward to connecting with you there. And remember, el mejor amigo de un peruano es otro peruano. Chao.